Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, And we have a lot to talk about on this week's show, of course. Arizona baseball is still going. They are extending their season in the really wonky Pac-12 tournament that I don't think anybody like understands how they're doing their pod, whatever. But Arizona, as of this recording on Thursday, May 25th, Arizona is still alive. Um, so, Brett, we're going to talk about that with Brian Peterson of AZ Desert from He's up in Scottsdale covering this so he's a great guy to talk to, obviously, Arizona baseball. And a lot of Arizona things. We're looking forward to talking to him a little bit. But men's basketball, the roster is just about complete, it seems. Brett, maybe room for one other player, and there's a hot rumor about who that might be. But since we last recorded, Arizona has officially gotten transferred Kashad Johnson from San Diego State, and they reportedly added uh, Paulius Maroskis, we're going to say. Big Paul. I'm... I'm I think that was pretty good, actually. And then Conrad Martinez. I feel really good about that one. Both of those are reported. Um, so, yeah, since we last recorded, that's three players that Arizona looks to have added. So, and I, I say this because Lord knows we do not prep for show with show prep. What is uh, show prep? I, I don't know, Adam. Um how many scholarships are technically available on this roster right now? Like, and I, I ask that, uh, is Tot Vilas Tubelas still going to be a scholarship player next year? Excellent question. As far as I understand, there's 13 scholarships available and it looks like there's like maybe one left with does these commitments. Inc- what, does that include Tot Vilas or not? I don't know. <laughs> What, what good are you to not, me? Not, nothing has been like, I don't think, I think anything's come out that he's not with the program anymore. I mean, it's, obviously the expectation is that Azulis is gone. Whether he stays in the NBA draft or not, the expectation he's not coming back because Shot Johnson, yeah. I think, kind of solidifies that. But it looks like, I know Tommy, they didn't use all 13 scholarships last year, but it looks like he's close to doing it because there's also another rumor, Caleb Love, the North Carolina transfer, is reportedly very, very interested in Arizona and Arizona interested in him. So... I, I don't know. The, I imagine they, if they need scholarships, they can find a scholarship, right? So I'm not worried about Todd Vilas' scholarship. I don't think that's going to hinder them from doing anything. Either he's on the with the roster, like with the program on scholarship, or he's not. But either way, I don't think Arizona is recruiting not knowing what they're doing there. You know, right, I don't I know will, what they're doing there, but yeah, I I will agree with your last last statement. They know what they're doing. Uh, as as we've basically been saying for all the people panicking about the Arizona roster. Uh, uh, I think for for the lack of clarity, let's focus on Johnson from San Diego State. Sure, let's right? start there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what what an interesting ad that is like the anti- antithesis of what people were criticizing uh, Tommy Lloyd's last roster or two for, like a guy that's not offense heavy, tough, good defender, maybe not that offensively skilled, and also like beating Kentucky and John Calipari for a for a transfer recruit, that's a win. So yeah. maybe Tom he's got one, one season to play, and he chose to play to Arizona. Yeah, and not so, Kentucky. And he just played in the national title game, and he chose to transfer to Arizona. So that tells you a little bit about Tommy Lloyd and the Arizona program. Um, he's I. So I don't, I don't know if you want to focus on like what that means for Tommy Lloyd or what it means for the roster. I I'm kind of I think we can do both. I'm well let let me let me do the short answer on the what it means for Tommy Lloyd. All of you guys panicking about the roster were stupid and we were politely 
telling you that for the last three weeks. And half our listeners just tuned out. Well, you know what? Hard, you know. We still got to listen. It still counts, I think. Friends are the people that tell you the truth you don't want to hear, Adam. Well, I I, I think, and we, we talked about that, you know, with, you know, with different people. And we talked about it here. It's like, it's a lot easier to penguins. They hadn't brought anyone in, but it's like, you knew they were going to bring people in. They weren't going to have a roster of seven people, eight scholarship players. We knew that. The question was, what were they going to bring in, right? Because it's like, were they going to get Arizona good type talent? And I was always confident they would, but until they start doing it, there were, you know, people are going to be like, well, what, until you get those players, are you going to get those players? Uh, and that's, and that's, you know, it's the, we are the show me university, as people like to say. We but, are the Missouri of college basketball. But also, to kind of go with that, is what people are having to learn, especially with the transfer portal and the NBA draft, is that a lot of the recruiting is going to take longer than you want. That you're going to get guys in May, right? We're still at the end of May right now, and Arizona still might be in one more big-time transfer. Like That's going to happen. There are players who have still been withdrawn from the NBA draft who are going to end up on college rosters. If you're looking for Arizona's roster to be complete by April, the end of April, beginning of May, that's not going to happen most years, like, especially if they're being patient and looking for certain players, right? Like they have plans. They have certain guys they want. You know, the early signees are probably getting huge NILs from somewhere where they had like, I'm going, I'm transferring because I want to go to that school right there. For everyone else is kind of shopping, if you will, it might take a little longer. And that's what you're seeing right now, especially like when you're doing international recruiting with their seasons and you're doing some of the transfer portal guys who were in the NBA draft are testing the waters that way. So you you raise a good point with the international guys and talking about Conrad Martinez. I assume you mispronounced that. Probably, by the way, <laughs> there's probably um, something in there. <laughs> I just there's no you know, way that's track, too easy. It looks too easy. Tra- yeah, track record and all of that. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, that's it's a really good perspective in modern college basketball and what Tommy Lloyd is trying to do. It's not just high school recruiting. It's not just the transfer portal. It's not just international guys. It's all of those things. And they're, they don't have timelines that necessarily align. And the casual fan, you know, if you're judging Tommy Lloyd on a roster composition by Twitter and message boards, you're probably going to overreact in the last couple months. But I, I know people have. But like John, getting Johnson specifically, right? Because like the international guys, you watch the highlight videos and, Maybe they're good. For every Larry Markinen, you get what's-his-face Thielmans, right, from a handful of years ago. You get someone, for every Azulis to Bellis, you get a Henry Vaser who might need more time, right, to yeah. kind of marry and grow. So you don't know exactly what you're getting. That's, I mean, that's the case for every high school player that hasn't played at this level, but especially, so, seems like, for the international guys. But Kashad Johnson, he's a proven quantity to a degree, right, because he's a senior. He's starred a lot of games. He was in the championship game last season as a starter. And what's interesting there to me, and I think you're going to get to this, Brett, is like, yeah, beating Calipari for the commitment, great. You know, that's a, that's a good sign, right? Arizona has something to offer. You think, hey, starting minutes at the power forward spot, go get them. But, you know, he averaged 7.7 points and five rebounds per game last season. Those are not Azulis Tubelis numbers. Those are not Arizona, what we've gotten used to. But at the same time, what he does bring, you mentioned that toughness, you know, some pretty solid defense. He's a great athlete, like a high-flying type, you know, explosive athlete. All things Arizona was lacking. But the other thing I'm interested to see is like his leadership. Show. Like he, he chose Arizona for a reason, right? Because he thinks Arizona might help him get better, a better chance at the NBA at the next level. I think he looks at Arizona, and it's going to be interesting to see if it works out this way, as like his scoring average is going to go up because he's going to get better looks. Just Arizona's system, and that's what Tommy Lloyd's banking on with a lot of his recruiting. For someone like this, who's not known for his offense, but obviously has some ability on that side of the floor, to say, you know what, with the group they're putting together with this system you're going to get open looks you're going to get good open looks maybe average 7.7 points last year maybe gets to 13 a game you know with Arizona just by being in the right place by having all the talent around him and a system that's going to take more shots because they push the pace more so it's like you look at what he did at San Diego State the things that Arizona needs he does he's already proven he could defend San Diego State you can't play there unless you defend and play hard yeah but the offense is the one thing we haven't really seen from him and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little more offense from him. We're in the red and blue. Yeah. So I love that you brought that up, up Adam, because like, you know, a lot, ironically, the critics would say that Azulis Tabellis was a system player offensively. Right. right? <laughs> and now, you know, we're, we're going to kind of see 
with Kashad Johnson, right? Like, I mean, he's kind of a Sean Marion type player. If I was going to pick a comp where he's like an athlete, he's like that six, seven ish vibe where he's like can guard any position and he's not uh skillless on offense. Like he seems to have a Rondé you know, Hollis Jefferson. I think he's better offensively naturally than Rondé Hollis Jefferson, okay. to be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, like, Rondé Hollis Jefferson was the poor man's Sean Marion. I think, I think Shaw Johnson has the chance to be the in between, right? Because Sean Marion was a lottery pick and had a long NBA career. I think Johnson could be in between those two guys. I mean, that, right? that that's puts crazy expectations on him too, though. To be like, you should be a lottery pick. He is, you know, a senior. He's hey, he's not first, he's first, not nineteen. I did, I did not say that. I just said he is the average of Rondé Hollis Jefferson <laughs> and Sean Marion. <laughs> And I, and I know Rondé Hollis Jefferson got drafted probably higher than he should have been because he yeah but dot 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 but but, um, but Johnson's skill set fit like if you looked at Arizona I'm sure everyone listening here looked at them watched them last season even the year before and it, but especially last year it's like what were they missing what did they need if they went into this offseason got tougher got better defensively and more athletic if you didn't know who the players were you know, but you said they got some toughness athleticism you know and defense you'd be like yeah that's exactly what they needed right. Because you believe yeah. that Tommy Lloyd's offense, his system, can generate offense. Are they going to score 85 points a game with the roster they put together? I don't know. But if they score 78 points a game and they give up 10 fewer a game than they were, that's a winning combination. And we know it's kind of like – I wrote it for AZ Desert Storm, and I didn't get into it because I didn't want to like criticize Sean Miller, right? But it was Sean Miller. People thought he wasn't – he didn't adapt quick enough to like, his system defensively, his offensive system. And it wasn't towards like the end of his tenure in Arizona. We saw now that he's at Xavier again, where he's like a little bit more free flowing offense. Like, Hey, open things up a little bit. You know, the game is changing. You need to do that. And he was kind of slow to adjust. People would think Tommy Lloyd's going into year three. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go get defensive guys. You know, now maybe because he's coming. Hey, I can coach. I can make, cause he believes he can get offense out of anybody with his system. Sure. But he doesn't have that pride. He doesn't have the ego that's saying, Nope. You know what? Cause they what scored 55 points against Princeton. It'd be easy to say, well, defense wasn't the problem. They didn't score enough. But he's like, nope. He's not doubling down on offense. He's saying, let's make a more complete team. Let's go get guys who may not be 20-point-a-game, you know, great offensive players. But if they score 11 and play good defense, that's what they need. And I love that. Well, and I think the casual fan underrates how much good defense can turn into offense. Yes. Right? Especially with a bunch of athletes like Kashad Johnson – with a good defensive team, with Jaden Bradley, with you know some of these other guys on the uh, that they're adding to the roster and are rumored to add, like, yeah, you, you know, you you don't get out and run when you're allowing three offensive rebounds and eventually they hit a shot and then you have to set up a half court offense and that's where the the system takes over, and if you believe in Tommy Lloyd's system, in the half court offense the system should solve most of the problems, right? Mm-hmm. But you can amplify that with you know, a good defender and a versatile defender, which, which, which kind of leads me to what I would really in, intrigued to talk about with Johnson. When you look at it in the context of the additions that we know about and the ones that are rumored, because like Johnson's not a physically like, a, you know, as much height as there is on the roster. He's not, you know, a six ten power forward, nope. like Azulis Tabellas is right. But is he a guy that can, you know, your position is kind of defined by who you can guard, not what you can do offensively. And if he is a guy that can guard threes or fours and you have, oh, I don't know, a good outside shooting guy that's actually taller, but maybe can't guard the athletic wings. You know, you don't have if man-to-man defense doesn't mean you guys have to guard the same people on both yeah. ends of the court. Right. <laughs> and like, I don't I think people sometimes take that for granted, but it's like, no, you could put Kashaw Johnson on the athletic wing on the defensive end, and he's going to be guarded by the four on the other end, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's that's I think that's actually a, a pretty high likelihood of what's going to happen at times for Arizona next year. And it's it's this is like the the nuance of roster composition, right? Where like offensively he's going to play the four, and maybe defensively he guards the three on the other team, right? Well, it's flexibility and, that they didn't necessarily have before. They well, had they too did, many guys. <laughs> they had too many guys that could barely guard their position, let alone others. And then you get in like switching situations and just to have that flexibility. And also just when guys aren't playing well to have options off the bench. And like Kashad Johnson, again, he's proven. Some of the international guys, Maruskas, you know, Krivas and Martinez, like they're not proven in any way, <laughs> you know, but like 
and we don't know how much of those guys will be ready to contribute this season, if any of them uh-huh. will be, and how much. You just say we don't know if Henry Vasar is going to take a step forward, right, or or if Phillips going to take a step forward, or Dylan Anderson. Like we don't know that, but with someone like Kashad Johnson, you know what he can do. Like you know what his floor is. And his ceiling's going to be what he can do offensively in this system. But defensively, he's going to give you something you didn't have and something that you desperately needed, you know, for those games. So, you know, I, I don't think we need to get too much into the international guys. We don't, I don't think we know enough about them. But I do like the roster that's being put together here. I see some of the developmental prospects that Tommy Lloyd is known for. Like someone like Kershaw Johnson, he's a one-year rental, but he's the right type. He's not coming in to be like the superstar. Like, and that's the other thing. Like he, I don't imagine the sales pitch said you're going to come here and take 15 shots a game. It was you're going to come here, you know, you can start. Because they needed a four, but like that's it. Like play your role and see where it takes you. And I love that. There's one other guy though that the rumor is Caleb Love. What do you think of that? Because that's a guy who people think would he accept? What role would he have? Would he accept that role? But you know, ooh, like I'm for well, it. I'll put it out there. I, I'm all I mean, for it. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take a half step back first and be like. Kashaw Johnson is the dog I think this roster has needed for years. Sure. I just need to get that out there. Uh, in terms of the Caleb Love question, I mean, short answer, when you can add talent, I'm in favor, right? That's where I'm at. Uh, and, you know, the more interesting question is of Kylan Boswell, uh, Jaden Bradley, Caleb Love, and Pella Larson, who's willing to come off the bench if that was an option? Right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the flippant answer is Pella Larson's a better player off the bench, but he like, has been, you know, that's that may be a true statement, but also when you're trying to construct a roster and get, you know, 19, 20 year olds to agree to come play on your team. That's not the right answer. Uh, the report comes <laughs> um, from Eric Bossi of 247 Sports says that Arizona is a finalist for Caleb Love along with, I think, Texas and Gonzaga. Um Love is somewhat polarizing because he doesn't. He's been pretty inefficient at North Carolina, but you, the talent is there. And where where I go with something like that is obviously the roster is mostly complete. So if Caleb Love is looking at Arizona, he knows what's there already. And I don't think Tommy Lloyd. If there's one thing the criticism I think people have is that he's honest with recruits. Like he's not lying to anyone. He's not going to blow smoke up their asses or anything like that. So Caleb, I don't know if Caleb Love would come here to be a sixth man. Like I don't know. Maybe he's like, hey, I'm still going to get 30 minutes a game. I don't care if I'm coming off the bench or starting as long as I, you know come there and play well and show that I can be efficient and, you know, shoot a percentage that gets him to the NBA, right? Or maybe he comes out and he's like, he's too good not to start. Like, I don't know, but I do think if Arizona adds someone like that, like, if you have an opportunity, you have to do it because, yeah, he may shoot you out of a game, but he's also the type who could shoot you through a game and win a game. I mean, he's shown to be very, very good at times. And in the right system, again, in a Tommy Lloyd system with this offense, you know, how does maybe all of a sudden his shot selection gets a little bit better because he's getting better looks. So, but the talent is damn, there. Damn it, Adam, you took what I was going to respond with where, like, it's another question of does Tommy's system work? Right? But that's like, even offensive and just the system of getting guys to buy into what you're trying to do, to buy into their totally. roles. You know, because totally. someone like this has been a starter at North Carolina. He's been in a championship game. Is he going to come to Arizona to play 20 minutes a game? Probably not. But all these players, like Jaden Bradley, if he, it depends on how these guys feel like they're one and done. Like if Jaden Bradley wants to play next year and be gone, Colin Basel wants next year, I'm sure Pella Larson's got one more year, and that's it. So, But it hasn't happened yet, obviously. By the time you listen to this, maybe it has, or maybe he's gone to Texas or Gonzaga or something. But I like the idea just because, like to what you said, Brett, anytime you have a chance to add talent like that, I think you do it. Because it's not like he'd be coming in blind. It's not like Tommy Lloyd doesn't know about him. Doesn't know. It's not like he doesn't know about Arizona on the roster there. So if they think it's a match between the two of them, they think, hey, we can make this work, then I'm, and I think they can too, then I'm all for it. We're, we're really just uh, evolving or devolving to my joke answer of the three seven-footers is a triangle and two defense with two point guards on the perimeter at all times, Adam. Hey, getting a little <laughs> bit closer. Let's get a little closer. I, I, I'm I'm not going to lie and say I'm not actually intrigued at my joke notion. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there, of course. That Caleb Love, he is out there, former North Carolina, briefly at Michigan, now rumored to be you know, like possibly Arizona bound. And, of course, I think that would be the last big move for the offseason for this roster. And then the roster would be complete, but who knows anymore. But, Brett, let, let's t- – what's was up? He technic- was he technically at Michigan? I don't even know how that works. Like I'm sure he I mean, was in the state at some point, but yeah, I, I don't mean, know. That's like that's like when you when I say, "Hey, Adam, have you ever been to Michigan?" and you landed at the Detroit 
airport on a layover and said, yeah, I've technically been on the ground there. Mm. That's 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 the analogy here. Fair enough. Well, anyway, we'll see what happens with the Arizona men's basketball roster. But let's take a break and we come back and we mention Arizona baseball is still alive. And let's find out about how that's happened and where they have to go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. And we are joined by Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Swarm. He is out covering the Arizona Wildcats baseball team in Scottsdale. Their run is still going. Their season, which maybe a few weeks ago seemed like it was on the brink, still has life. Brian, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thank you guys for having me again. Yeah, of course. And we were thinking, like, Brett and I, when we were doing our show planning over the last course, like, okay, whenever the baseball season ends, you know, we'll Kind of, we'll talk baseball, right? Kind of like a post-mortem, if you will, kind of we did for softball um, last week. Baseball's still going. Um, like then this Pac-12 tournament, Arizona just kicked the crap out of ASU, which is, you yeah, love to see it. You know, that was great. And then had that crazy game against Oregon State that ended with a walk-off where if anyone could pitch, it would have been a blowout. But here Arizona is, they're at 32-23, and 23, and I don't know if they're, now squarely on the bubble, but they seem to be playing some pretty good baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, you uh, you say crazy game against Oregon State. It's pretty much it was an Arizona type of game <laughs> this year. Um, it, it's happened so many times this season. Um, they they've had a game where they led ten nothing and in after two innings and lost thirteen eleven. They've had teams they've won twelve to ten. They uh, they beat Stanford a couple weeks ago, 21 to 20 in 10 innings, a game that they essentially blew like five leads. Um, they've had um, who, who a missed the extra, where they got who, walked off. Who missed who? the extra? Stanford missed an extra point in that baseball game. Well, no, they went 21. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, James they went for the win. Nothing but tricky. <laughs> so, yeah, it's. I mean, the the lead I had for yesterday's game when they walked off Oregon State essentially was if you ride a roller coaster long enough, you start to anticipate the scary parts and no longer get stressed about them when they're happening. That's pretty much Arizona in baseball this year that they've been in so many of those games. That was a game that they were down 4 nothing after before ever coming to the plate, scored in each of the first six innings but didn't take the lead until the sixth inning because they kept giving up runs. They score six runs in the sixth inning to take a four-run lead, and two innings later, it's gone. Yeah. And, you know, myself and other people have covered the team are like, yep, we've seen this movie many, many times before. Do we have any other DVDs that we can play? <laughs> but they, the, really what helped in that situation was they were the last team mm -hmm. to bat. And so they felt confident that as long as they were within striking distance in that last at-bat that they could win, and it, it happened to be that they were tied and they won. It's, it's been really amazing. They've, they've now been involved in nine walk-offs this season. They've won five of them. They've lost four. And at one point, they got walked off three times in four games on the road and uh, four out of five overall on the road where it was there was a stretch of maybe 12 or 13 games where the opponent came to the plate in the ninth inning and had either the tying or the winning run at the plate in the ninth inning almost every game during that stretch because it was just such nail-biting. So it's almost like they've been going through playoffs for several weeks. So, um, so Brian, speaking of the, the playoffs and the Pac-12 tournament, uh, and me and Adam have had some conversations on this, can you explain to our listeners how pool play works in the Pac-12 tournament? Uh, I'd like to. Um, let's see if it will make any sense. Um, well, first and foremost, the reason that they went to pool play this year after the first season, they just did the traditional double elimination um, 18 bracket, which was essentially like two four-team ones, and then the winners would play at the end for the title. Um, by the end of that, so many of the teams had worn out all their pitchers. Um, I mean, Arizona went two and two over a four-day span and just didn't have anybody at the end of that. 
Oregon State and UCLA played a game that was 25 to 22 in 10 innings and then had to come right back and play another game 30 minutes later. And neither of those teams were able to do as well as they should have in the postseason because they were all worn out. So the coaches wanted to come up with a format that would put a cap on how many games you could play and just also protect the top teams so that um, if or more like the middle team so that if they they lost it didn't cost them an NCAA tournament seed uh, bid as uh, at the expense of another team in their league. But the way it worked is there were three pods of three because nine of the 11 teams made the tournament. You would play the other two in yours. If you went 2-0, you advance to the semifinals. Simple as that, which is what Arizona did. They went 2-0 before anyone else had a chance to win a second game um, because they when they played Oregon State yesterday, that was Oregon State's first game. So they've been just sitting there waiting for everybody else. Where, where things were going to get crazy and have gotten crazy is if you have a pool where everyone goes one and one, which uh, happened in Pool B involving Washington and USC and UCLA. They all beat each other. Um, in, in a case of that, it, um, the winner of the pool is the team with the best seed to begin, which happened to be Washington as the number three seed. That same thing could happen here in the last pool if Oregon were to beat Stanford um, they uh, actually Oregon would move on by going two and zero, but since there's only three pools, but there's four spots in the the semifinals, you have to figure out how do you get that wild card team. That wild card team, um, essentially, of all the teams that didn't win their pool, it's just whoever has uh, the highest remaining seed that didn't go zero and two. So it's really really convoluted and complicated but if <laughs> if stanford wins this game against oregon stanford will be in there along with arizona washington and usc if oregon wins then it will be stanford because they still get in because they would be the highest seeded team that didn't win their pool arizona oregon and washington so thank you for trying to explain that so you get all that brett yeah uh two there will be a test two I'm not sure I fully understand it. Three, I definitely hate it. <laughs> like, just give the top four teams a freaking buy, <laughs> and and uh, follow uh, a more. Um, it, it should be a more complicated question, but I'm going to give you a. Uh, maybe it's more simpler than explaining the Pac-12 tournament play. Brian, uh, explain to me why Arizona's pitchers seem to have regressed in general. Thinking uh, specifically, somebody like a TJ Nichols that looks such like, like was so promising two years ago and now seems to be struggling. Yeah, well, from an, a general standpoint, if you just look across college baseball, like nobody is pitching good. There are a few really good pitching staffs, but other than that, I mean, Stanford, who won the league easily, Arizona just destroyed their bullpen in the third game of that tournament. Um, you know, being able to find pitching depth is just crazy. Uh, last weekend, USC came into town with the top uh, ERA in the conference, and Arizona scored, uh, I think, 20 runs in 14 innings against their starters. Um, and so it's, I mean, these are guys, like, two of these three guys came in with ERAs below three, and Arizona's just lighting them up. Um, Oregon State had the best bullpen in the conference where it was like a, a bullpen ERA of three, and Arizona scored eight runs off their bullpen yesterday, and then ASU scored 14 runs today, and most of those were off relievers. So it's just, in, in general, it's just like everyone's bad. Um, and I know that people have been very critical of Dave Long, the pitching coach, but um, who wasn't the pitching coach for the, the team that went to the College World Series. That was Nate Yeski, who has since moved on to be the pitching coach at Texas A&M. Entering this weekend, Texas A&M actually had a worse ERA than Arizona, so and with better pitchers, with better overall talent. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how college baseball is. When it comes to T.J. Nichols, yeah, he, he's it, it's very hard to figure out where he went because his freshman year, especially the tail end of that, and then most of his sophomore year, he looked like he was a guy that could be uh, first day first three or four rounds of the major league draft this year when he became eligible. I mean, he throws in the upper nineties. He's tall. He's got the frame, all that. Uh, he's got a great slider and all that, but then something changed where he started to, it, it started to falter. And I think 
he just it got so into his head that when he gets in any sort of trouble, he just loses it. And the perfect example for that is I said he has a really good slider, but for some reason when he tries to throw that slider like with two out, with two strikes against the left-handed batter and it's what's called a back foot slider where it's essentially uh, if it lands right, it's going to land almost near where the back foot is, but the guy's going to swing at it. He keeps hitting people in the foot. And then next <laughs> back you know, foot, it's not like, into foot. <laughs> yes. Yes. Stepping on a ring. And exactly. And then it's just, that happens. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm now afraid to throw that pitch. So now I'm going to try to get more over the plate and then I'm going to leave it too much over the plate. My fastball is going to be a little flat. And I think, so much of it with him is mental. He started the last game of the regular season against USC, and his the outing was three innings, and it was it was so typical. He struck out three of the first four guys, was just blowing stuff by them, but gave up a long home run as well in that inning. And then the next inning, it was it was one of those like allow a hit, allow a walk, hit a guy, home run, hit a guy. It, it's just it, it just, just fell apart. Unravels on. And the thing is, he's got great stuff and he's got great upside he's he's probably still going to get drafted and still drafted uh in, in a position where he's gonna probably sign and take that money but they're just gonna have to you know maybe like restart everything on him because of the mental game of all that but all the other guys you just don't know what you're going to get you could get a guy who is going to be lights out or like he can't get anybody out he can't find the play. The, the guy who ended the game uh, pitched the last two innings on the, uh, against Oregon State, Chris Barraza. He was on the losing end of several walk-offs and has had some really bad outings, but he, he can also blow it past anybody, yeah. and he has a very good slider. He worked himself out of a jam that he inherited in the eighth inning, the second and third and two out. Then he comes in the next inning. First guy doubles, but it, only because it was – and attempted a great catch against the wall, and the ball popped out. Then a wild pitch, and now the go-ahead run is on third base with nobody out. He walks the next guy. First and third, nobody out. That's like, in the major leagues, that's 85 to 90% of the time you score. And in a situation like that, you average like 1.7 runs an inning. He got a line out, a strikeout, a strikeout, and he blew it past those two guys. But then the previous, or two weeks before that, at Stanford, it's like, Every ball he threw got hit out of the park. So the, st- the stuff is there. You just, I mean, these are 18 to 22-year-old kids, and you never know what you're going to get with them. You know, you mentioned that, too. And one of the things, like, Brian, we've talked even, like, because, you know, I'm with AZ does for one as well. We talked about Chip Hell, and, like, I was never a big fan of the hire. And I know you're in the, hey, just give him time. He deserves his chance. And, you know, I will say I'm impressed that mentally these are 18 to 20-year-old kids, and yet they've stuck with it. They're still fighting that. There's not that you don't have, like, the the position guys turning on the pitchers, right? It's like, yeah, they know they have to score 12 runs to win, but they're like, all right, let's go score 12 runs. It's like they, the fight they seem to have that they did not quit on this season, did not quit on Chip Hale. That seems to speak well of what the coach has done because to your point, like you don't know what you're getting with the pitching and that would be an excuse for the hitters to say, that's too much. You know, like Chase Davis doesn't have to go out there and be Chase Davis because it's like, you know, should he have to hit two home runs a game for them to win? And yet they find a way to stick with it. And here they are in the Pac-12 tournament playing arguably their best baseball of the season. Like, that's got to be a testament to Hale, right? Sure. And and truth be told, yeah, it's easily these guys could just turn on each other and be like, I'm doing my end of the bargain. And there have been a couple games where one of the games they lost at Oregon State where they got walked off, they got a tremendous pitching performance from Cam Walty. He threw seven shutout innings, and the only run they scored in the game was on a steal of home with two outs. Yeah. And ended up losing that game two to one. And you're like, wait a minute, this team – can score 10 runs a game why haven't they done that so you could see a possibility of that but i think this is a a situation where chip hale's experience prior to coming to arizona comes into play while he's never coached college before and he's he's had to learn on the fly things like recruiting and um you know i've heard stories of he um when when he started he wanted to bring their um their equipment guy on the road for all the road trips and and someone asked him why and he goes well somebody needs to you know get the, the visiting clubhouse set up and someone had to tell him there aren't visiting clubhouses in most road uh <laughs> stadiums in college it's like you you know you just basically have some place to change it's not like there's any sort of thing to set up so 
there were things he had to learn. But what he didn't have to learn is how to deal with young players who are of varying levels of skill and experience and all that. Um, besides being a manager of the Diamondbacks and being bench coach at the majors and all that, he coached a long time in the minor leagues, all the way down to like rookie ball and instructional league, where he was actually dealing with like players from the, the Caribbean and Central America who were 16, 17 years old, who may or may not have spoken English. And he's got to teach them and get through to them and all that. So to deal with emotional 18 to 22 year olds, he's already dealt with that. And I think that's really come into play how he is able to, to balance all that and keep his emotions in check, but also, you know, kind of lead by example when it comes to that and not overreact to everything that happens. So, so speaking of overreactions, does Arizona beating Oregon state mean that Chip Hale can recruit? I'm just kidding. Don't answer. That um, that's my, that's my, twi- that's my Twitter joke with you. Um, yes, no, but- um, well, <laughs> I think if you want to ask about whether or not Chip Hale can recruit, look at things like Mason White, who is a kid that was right here in town that Arizona had shown no interest in, even though he was a legacy. And Chip gets hired and checks out this kid and is like, yeah, we want you. And while he's had some ups and downs and he's, he's definitely looked like a freshman at time, he's hitting over 300 and he's been playing every day. Um, he recruited Kiko Romero from Central Arizona College. That worked that out pretty well. Two RBIs. Yeah, he's two RBIs away from the school record. Um, Emilio Corona from Pima, getting two of the three weekend starters from Pima. Um, Casey Hintz, who's become a much more reliable relief pitcher, a freshman, one of the many Illinois and Midwest kids that he and his recruiting coordinator, Trip Couch, have brought in. They've got a guy they signed for next year named Blake Walters, who unfortunately is probably not going to make it here because – he has uh, exploded so much in terms of draft boards that he's now projected as possibly a first-round pick. Oh, Very great. difficult to get a guy like that, yeah, to come there. And it's something Jay Johnson had to deal with. Between 2017 and 2021, I think he had five guys drafted in the first or second round out of high school. And you're not going to get those guys to show up. Chase Davis and Daniel Susak and uh, Jacob Berry, none of those – should have shown up to Arizona. They did because the the year of their high school draft, 2020, was the COVID draft where there was only five rounds. So they benefited from that or else they would have lost some guys. Uh, Chip had one of his recruits from this past year, Demetrio Crisantis, a big power-hitting middle infielder from Nogales. Signed, drafted by the Diamondbacks, they signed him. You know, sometimes you can't do anything about that. You can recruit guys. But when you're offered large sums of money to be a professional, maybe they want to skip college. A lot of them want to play in college so that they can uh, use that as a practice ground so that when they get into the pros, they're closer to the majors. But, you know, everyone's situation is different. Sometimes the money is too too much to say no to. So thank you for giving a really good answer to my joke question, because I think that was actually illuminating. But also, and, and, and as a side note, I just looked at a uh, Keith Law on the Athletics mock draft when he talked about Jay Johnson. Mm-hmm. LSU had the top two picks in his mock draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. uh, as, as, a, as a real question, um, you know, circling back to the current roster and the current team and where they're situated, you know, Arizona has won their pool. They're moved on. I think I read, I, I believe in your article that they're up to like 48 or something like that in the RPI. Uh, yeah, and as I'm looking at it right now, they're now 45. Oh, um, so, because things keep moving around. Yeah. yeah. They've gone up 10 spots this week. And so, they, they may be up or down a little bit more before the end of today. Yeah, so which, which that leads into my question of, uh, what does Arizona need to do to continue into the postseason and or are they already in based on winning their pool and what has already transpired? I don't think they're in already. Um, the the two main projectors out there, Baseball America and D1 Baseball, uh, Baseball America has them as essentially the eighth team out, and uh, D1 has them as the fourth team out. So they're in the conversation. They're getting looked at, but they need to keep winning. They they have to at least make the final to get considered. 
certainly if they were to win the, the, the conference tournament, they get the automatic bid, which is the easiest way to do it. But I think getting one more win and putting it to a situation where they went 12-8 and eight in the conference during the regular season, which is a bad record, and there is no precedent since the Pac-10 became the Pac-12 that a team from that league with a losing conference record has made the NCAA tournament. But there's never been a conference tournament until now where a team has had that opportunity to kind of play their way in, and that's why they, they put the tournament together because they were tired of their team that was like 15-15 and 15 or 16-14 and 14 in the conference looking okay and then getting passed over by teams with losing records in conferences who then make the semifinals or championship game of their conference tournament. They wanted to be able to have a chance for someone else to play their way in. But it's 12-18 and 18 at the regular season, but the NCAA committee looks at conference tournament games and teams who play against your rival during midweek. Arizona, the, the, the first time they beat ASU this year, 20 to nothing, that was a non-conference game. But in the eyes of the NCAA selection committee, that looks like an extra conference win. And you combine that with the two from the, uh, the tournament so far, they've won 15 conference games, lost 18. So a 16th one would look really, really good on their resume. But um, last year, Kentucky from the SEC, which seems to send almost every team there, they were the 12th seed in their tournament, and they made the semifinals with a losing record and did not get in. So I think they need to make the final and essentially force that issue on the selection committee because I don't think they're going to want to be uh, – that's probably going to be one of the last games on Saturday night with the Pac-12 title game. And they don't want to be sitting there going, well, we have to have two separate brackets, one if Arizona wins and one if Arizona doesn't, that it would just be like, we, we're we in, we're, we're putting them in regardless of what happens in this result. We may be able to move some pieces around. But that's kind of how the NCAA basketball, men's basketball selection committee does, is um, unless it's a really low team that makes a final, I think once they get into the final, they kind of look at them and go, mm, they're in so that we don't have to, to worry about those final games. That makes a lot of sense because obviously Arizona's playing good baseball right now, but it's a full season, right? They maybe it could be a situation where it's too little, too late, unless they keep advancing in this tournament. But you look at them and too, like this offense has been almost historically good. Is there any kind of where they like where the tournament come in and be like, so you know what? Like all things being equal, that offense belongs because it's a tournament offense, right? It's a this offense is worthy. Those bats are worthy of playing in the NCAA tournament. Is there any sense of like, hey, you know what, like? That's good enough because this is a team that, if they do make it, obviously could slug their way pretty deep. Um, you could you could hope that that's the situation, yeah. but if that were the case, um, last year North Carolina State had the most exciting freshman in the country, this kid named Tommy White. Um, they got left out of the field in favor of Ole Miss, despite having what almost everyone thought was a better resume, and while Ole Miss ended up winning the title as essentially the last team in. So in, it, it, the committee looks good in doing that. But people thought, oh, well, how can you keep this team out with such this, this such great player? So they didn't really consider that. And ironically, that player then transferred to LSU. So he doesn't have to worry about <laughs> as that. As one does. And you were mentioning before, yeah, you were mentioning before about how Jay Johnson at LSU has uh, the top two projected guys in the draft that are on his roster right now. One of those was a transfer from Air Force that he got to see when he was coaching Arizona. The kid, uh, as a freshman, played against Arizona. And the other was a kid that he inherited from the previous staff who was a freshman um, on the team before him. But, he no, he's recruited tons of other guys there. But he also, I think this past year, he lost like five of his signees to the draft. It, it's something that makes uh, baseball different than all other sports in college when it comes to recruiting is that you can sign all these guys and then they just don't show up because someone's giving them money. Imagine if, you know, Kylan Boswell had, you know, he's coming in last summer, he, he reca uh, reclassifies and then someone's like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to pay you money to, to turn pro. And it's like, all right, well, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Brian, uh, you know, kind of a question as we're approaching the postseason here, and I assume you know more than Adam or I do, and certainly more That's than a fair our listeners do. Yeah. 
it's well, it's it's not an assumption if it's just a fact when it comes to college <laughs> baseball. Um, you know, in basketball, you have the selection committee considers you know injuries, players are going to come back, how they've been trending in the last couple of weeks. Is that the same in baseball? And I ask that completely biased as an Arizona fan, seeing that Arizona is playing their best baseball in the last two weeks. Does that impact their their possibilities? Well, if injuries have been a, a situation where they were missing a bunch of guys, and that's why they, um, you, know, you have to remember, this team at one point in the middle of the season lost 10 consecutive conference games, which was its longest conference losing streak in like 30 years. And they were at one point, they were 14 and 13. And then they, I mean, since then they're 18 and 10 and have beaten a lot of good teams. They still have some losses that they, they gave away. They probably should have won 22 of those because they had some walk-offs that they blew and all that. But uh, in Arizona's case, there isn't, like, injuries that have played a role in it. And if the baseball committee is anything like the softball committee, I don't think so, because when it came to the Arizona softball team not making it in, there were questions about whether the committee considered that Carly Scoopin, one of the best hitters, was gone in the middle of the season with an injury. And I believe the quotes from, from someone with the selection committee said, well, we don't really get all of that information. Yeah. And so that was a very unsettling answer. I've heard that, that the committees do get that information, that teams can provide it to them. Whether or not they actually use it, I don't know. So what you're, the, the softball comparison is, are they in the SEC or not, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the SEC <laughs> sent 11 or 12 of their 13 teams to the tournament. And how'd that go? And gave like well, and gave five of them hosts, and they were all proud about the fact that they sent ten to regional finals or ten, you know, started two and zero, something like that. And now they have three teams making the uh, the super regionals, whereas Arizona, uh, the Pac-12, which only got six teams in and had three hosts, is sending four teams to the tournament, including two that didn't win, uh, didn't host. So yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of karma, I guess. But what it sounds like, though, is from all this, as we wrap up here with Brian Peters and Razzy Desert Swarm, is that Arizona is squarely on the bubble right now. But as things stand, they're probably on the outside looking in still with a little bit of time, you know, win a couple more games. They have a chance to, I mean, obviously they win the tournament, they're in, but they still have work to do if they want to feel comfortable going to the selection time where like that they'll get that at large bid, right? Yeah, I would say if they lose Friday in the semifinals, they're going to be very, very nervous going to Monday morning when the, the field is announced and probably shouldn't feel confident if they win Friday and make the semifinals. I think they should feel confident, regardless of what happens in the title game, that they deserve to be in and that they've done enough to show that they can be in. Doesn't guarantee anything, but um, I think it would be it would be a huge snub if they were to make the conference final and not get in. Uh, but I don't think it would be much of a snub if they were to lose in the semis and not get it. Well, everything is still on the table. Could just do the easy thing and win the whole thing. Why not? You know, it just <laughs> takes it out of the equation. I mean, so, yeah, the answer is win the games. And they've certainly exactly. proven capable, right? Like that with that offense, they can just get a little bit of pitching. It almost seems like they'd be impossible to beat, but we'll see. That is correct. Hopefully they can keep this going, keep those bats hot. Well, Brian Peterson, AZ Desert Swarm. You can find him on Twitter at RealBJP. Of course, shameless plug because I do some work for AZ Desert Swarm too. Go to the site. There's plenty of content about baseball and all the other Arizona athletics, right? Is there anything you want to plug specifically, Brian, before we let you go? Um, well, I mean, we, we have written about the fact that um, we mentioned softball, that, that it looks like changes that were called for and demanded by fans uh, particularly uh, to pitching coach, uh, appear to be happening. There is an opening for a pitching coach, and it appears that Taryn Mowat is no longer there. Uh, they have the ability to add a coach this year with some changes in NCAA rules, but it sounds like she is, it's not in addition to her being there, that, that she, the former pitcher of our World Series titles, in uh, 2006 and 2007, I think it was the years, or seven and eight, is no longer with the program. So we've been tracking that. And softball, um, the the NCAA portal is open because that opened once that field was announced about a week and a half ago. Baseball, the portal will open on Tuesday once they've announced the uh, the 64 team field for that. 
So you're going to be seeing uh, probably see some movement, and I would imagine that in baseball, Arizona is going to be uh, trying to add some players from the portal when they get around to uh, being done playing. Yeah, that's not going to be for like a month from now anyway. So, you know, after they're holding a trophy, after winning the whole thing, you know, so <laughs> they'll have to wait their turn probably. No, hopefully. It'd be a heck of a story. It really, and that we'll be able to find on azdesertswarm.com when it happens. So, Brian, thank you, you as always for joining us. And yeah, hopefully you're in Scottsdale for a little while longer. We'll see. Thank you, guys. All right, thank you. That's Brian Peterson. And when we come back, Arizona football added to an already loaded offense. We're back, and thanks again to Brian Peterson from AZ Desert Swarm because, Brett, it certainly seems like Arizona baseball, they're playing good baseball, but it might be too little too late, barring a win in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, you know, as a, as a fan, it's frustrating because you're seeing Arizona play their best baseball, uh, which is the right time to be peaking, but is it too little too late? I, you know, I don't know. I think, as Brian said, one more win, and they're, they're probably in, but also if you're going to you, you play to win the game, as a former ASU coach yeah. uh, used to say. Um, so just win the whole thing and eliminate all doubt. And I don't think any team would want to face Arizona in the postseason at no. this point. No, not when Arizona's at the plate anyway. And that's the funny thing about them is that they're playing their best baseball. They gave up 12 runs to Oregon State in their most recent win. Like, But that's just who they are. As Brian said, like if you've been watching Arizona baseball, what they did in that game, winning 13-12, getting down big, going up kind of big, blowing that you know, back and forth. Would just, if anyone could pitch, that would be it. Like You just get enough pitching. You, know, you get the 27th out, and you can win. But we'll see. They're still playing up in Scottsdale as of the time of this recording. But, Brett, we teased it. Oh, what's up? Wait, wait I was going to say, what if, what if Chip Hale is a Rich Rodriguez for baseball? You just have to outscore him. It certainly seems like it for this team. Like, I mean— it's it's that's a joke not joke question. But if no I guess if no one pitches well then like everybody pitches well, right? That's the one thing. I Arizona I mean they held ASU to three runs in the opening game of the tournament, so they can get enough pitching at times. And if you feel like if they can hold teams to like five runs or less every game, then Arizona's not gonna lose oh, the rest of the gonna, way. They're gonna win, yeah. Um but speaking of offense, we did tease it. Arizona football, Brett. Added a receiver, Montana Lamonius Craig from Colorado, who blew up in their spring game. Um, then decide to enter the portal. Arizona picks him up as into a wide receiver room that was already pretty loaded. I don't know. I assume he's coming here to start, but maybe it's just like Arizona plans on playing more than three receivers at a time. But kind of we were talking about with Kayla Love with basketball. When there's a chance to acquire talent, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's the it's the same conversation as the basketball conversation, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and and it, I would actually contend. Uh, and, I, and I thought about this this week, Adam, where I was like, in football, it matters more. You know where I'm going. It's depth, right? Drink. And like, you, you, in basketball, you have a, you know, 13 scholarship players, right? So depth matters, and quality depth matters, but it's just not the same in football. Like everybody can have a starting lineup that's good, and you need guys that are not only competing in practice, but you need guys that win. You know an ankle gets twisted and they have to sit five plays out. Like, yeah, the wide receiver room is, is very talented. It's maybe the best on the roster. That or running back, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But you, 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 but regardless, it's, you, you can't have enough talent and football is such that like, you know, there's only one football and there's only so many catches that every guy's going to get. But like, you can find ways to maximize talent with depth, and you need that depth to be successful as a football program. Well, that and that's where I wonder too with Jed Fish because I know he came from the NFL and he had said like they're not used to playing six receivers, right? You have your top three guys, and if they're like, who are you going to sit? You know, of last season, who are you going to sit between? You know, Cowing, T Mac, and Singer. Um, does that mean they're going to go into this season though? Because Cowing is back, T Mac is back. Does this mean that he's taking Kevin Green's spot? Is Cowing moving back into the slot and Moniz Craig's going to the outside? Or do you have guys going all over? Because I feel like Kevin Green Jr.'s probably deserved reps. Like He's been working offseason, nothing but good things about him. He deserves to be on the field. A.J. Jones, another sophomore, probably deserves to be on the field a little bit. Does that mean they're going to expand the receiver rotation? Maybe. 
Maybe because you try to keep certain guys more fresh throughout the game. But also, if Arizona runs the ball like they'd like to, there might only be 25 passes in a game. And you also have Tanner McLaughlin and Keon Burnett at tight end who are going to get some looks too. So it's really it's it's a good problem to have. It's champagne problems to have too much talent, especially for Arizona football. So you take it, right? Because there could be injuries. Like, they were remarkably healthy in the receiver room last season. If any one of those guys went down, what did they have behind them? This year, it seems like, yeah, you have all that depth and I'd like to think that somebody I mean, like a Malachi Riley who looked good in camp too you know in spring ball might find a way into the field but you don't have to rush some of those young guys maybe if Kevin Green Jr. is not ready to play 45 snaps he can only play 25 and that's what you get him and something like A.J. Jones so but it comes down to talent and He's kind of big, 6'2", 190, not a giant like T-Mac, but he's got good size. And the, the stats don't jump out at you. It's 34 catches for his career, five touchdowns, 487 yards, but then you remember who he was playing for. <laughs> yeah, who was who who playing quarterback there, Adam? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, But again, it's he's not coming in here to be the number one receiver. He doesn't have to be. If he fills the Singer role as a number three, like Dorian Singer, I think, is a good player. Don't get me wrong. But there's probably some level of product of the system and the attention that some other guys got with that. So... Yeah, I I, I, I I feel moderately confident in saying that it's not going to be the very limited rotation at the wide receiver room yeah. this year that it was last year, right? Um, and that's a testament to that depth. And also, like, you know, A.J. Jones should be challenging for reps. Kevin Green should be challenging for reps. Jacob Cowing can play at the slot or outside. That kind of versatility matters. And, like, not everybody's going to be healthy. Guys are going to need a few plays off, and you want – it's a good problem to have uh, trying to get talented guys on the field and get them touches. Yeah. And that's what and – that's, and that's a problem that good football teams have that, bluntly, Arizona has not had the last – God, I don't even know how many years. It, it's been a minute for them. Yeah, and like, and, and the running back room is applicable too, because like Speedy Luke's gonna catch some balls out of the backfield, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Wiley's like, a good receiver out of the backfield. But if if my, but if you know, I'm not gonna lie, Adam, I'm a, I'm a pretty good uh, Madden franchise mode GM, and my very talented roster can score 120 points a game, and I get a lot of guys a lot of touches. Sure. Hopefully, that's Arizona's football roster this year. That, that, that I would take that. I think they would take that too. But it's just it shows like what Jed Fish is doing he's never going to turn down a chance to upgrade the roster and when you do it this time of year and i think he said like they're not going to bring you in this this time of year who hasn't gone through spring ball and everything unless he thinks they can help them so they brought this guy in because they think he's going to help them he's going to play just how they sort it out that's for them to figure out but that is part of like in the transfer portal era that is a big part of being a coach is you build this roster and you get as much talent as you can but you try to find a way to keep the right talent happy you know, you don't just keep guys and put them in the field if they don't deserve it. But if you know they deserve it, you find a way to keep them happy if they're not getting in the field as much as they thought they would. Because, like, hey, this guy's slightly better. This veteran can help us more. But you still make sure that they're happy because you don't want to see them go to the portal just when they're about to blow up. But those are Jetfish problems. Those aren't for us here at Wildcat Radio 2.0 to figure out. So welcome to Tucson, Montana, Lemonius Craig. I'll take it. One guy who airs and will not to worry about in terms of playing time is Toby Mueller. Uh, was the, I think he was the first commit of the 2025 recruiting class, and he has since decommitted. It happens. Toby, we hardly knew ye. I mean, more really, like 2025. The 2024 class wasn't even done, and he was the – it's like, 2025, what are you doing? And I think I had read that. He's just like – he thought he'd kind of rush a decision. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you think? Uh, and, and, and I get it. I'm not trying to knock the kid. Like, these are big decisions, and take your time and choose the spot that you think is best for you. It's not Arizona. It's not Arizona. Totally cool. But, yeah, I'm not even thinking about the 2025 recruiting class. Well, right and, and, like, the reality is he may still end up coming to Arizona. It's yeah. just so far out that it, like, uh, you know, <laughs> let's recall uh, Arizona commit Shea Patterson when he was, like, 14 years old, right, to Richrod and, you know, seven years later he finally graduated college going to wasn't he wasn't he a stoops recruit and then he didn't he decommitted because of richrod oh no i think i i thought he committed to richrod but i could be wrong on that at any rate these things happen it's not the it's not the end of the world like you love seeing guys commit to arizona but until they sign you know there's always things that can change um otherwise i think as we wrap up here congratulations to aaron gordon and zeke naji they're off to the nba finals of the denver nuggets that's cool like that's, you know, especially Aaron Gordon's played really, really well. They'll love to see that because he was one of my favorite Wildcats for this one year. That's a team that would have won a national championship, I'm convinced, if Brandon Ashley doesn't get hurt. They certainly would have made it to the Final Four. That's a given. And they probably would have won the national championship. 
Yeah, real, real hot, hot take, Adam. Yeah, that the team that was undefeated when they were healthy, like twenty and zero, and just rolling through everyone and dominating would would have made the final four. Yeah, I know that's going out on a limb here. Um, but anyway, as we wrap up this week's I'm show, try, I, I'm trying not to cuss and ruin our uh, podcast uh, uh, audience rating. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of news coming down. Obviously, like Brian mentioned, Arizona softballs gonna be looking for a new pitching coach, and they could add another coach. Um, so what happens with that there and the portals too with softball and baseball respectively when well softball can go now baseball is still playing for now and of course if baseball keeps winning and makes it to the NCAA tournament we'll have more talk about Arizona baseball and what Chip Hale's squad is doing there. Um, as we mentioned earlier in the show, Caleb Love rumored to be Arizona's last basketball scholarship player. That would be a pretty big deal if it happens. If it doesn't happen, they may still fill that roster spot and we'll talk about it. But otherwise. It's Arizona Athletics. It seems like there's always stuff happening. You can catch us here, you know, on iTunes, on Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to us on each of those. And if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review, and we will review on the show. Come us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. But, yeah, we'll see what happens over the next week because it's Arizona Athletics, and there's always something, hopefully good. But, you know, whatever it is, we'll talk about it. Thank you for listening. Remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>